Hey, it's Ronnie Gibson again. This is another episode of Short Life Advice. Today I have with me... Jack Flynn. I'm a sales operations manager. Jack. What's, what's going up, on, Ron? Man? I'm excited to do this, man. For sure, man. Glad to have you on. Yeah. Episode number 41. I can't think of any professional athletes that are number 41 right now. Yeah, I was trying to think. I can't think of any numbers that are 41. <laughs> I can't even count that high. This is uh, first Schneider associate in a while, so uh, you should feel uh, proud here. Jack. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm very excited for this. I've been listening to plenty of these for a long, long time now, a couple of years, and was honored when you asked if I want to join it. So give us some quick history on your background, what led you to Schneider, you know, what you started at, did you have some success? Yeah. Um, it all started, first time I really kind of heard about Schneider was that I was in an internship that uh, was working as a insurance policyholder for Schneider. So I was doing claims for them. I was doing transportation claims. So you saw some ugly things happen and it was kind of eye-opening. And then in the career fair, Schneider was at the career fair at the University of Iowa. And I was approached to approached by someone there to ask if I want uh, if I was like looking for sales looking in Chicago and I was absolutely yes I didn't know that they were in Chicago because the location on the on the Iowa webpage said Green Bay so I'm like I'm not really too interested in moving in Green Bay right now I grew up around Chicago would like to stay there when I saw that I was blown away uh, came in for an interview and hit the ground running in June 2017 mm. Right out of Iowa, right? Yeah, yeah, right out two weeks, two weeks of free time, and then hitting the real world. Yeah. So you set foot in your first, you know, real world job. How how how'd you start off? Was first six months? Did you start killing it in sales automatically, or not really? I kind of hit my. I was like middle of the pack starting out, and then I kind of further developed like what conversations were like with a good customer and good prospect, and how to advanced in the sales stage and I think I hit like my first really good month to be proud of about 10 yeah month 10 and then uh, obviously up and down from there but overall grew year over year um, but it was it was the first year was a lot of learning a lot of failing and a lot of learning and just being okay with it and then just saying like all right don't do it again so it was stressful in the moment, I guess, but when you look at it now, I was happy that I set up that way of thinking because it's helping me out further in my career and plan on doing that for the rest of my life. Did you have any memories from early on, those first that first year, six months, where you're getting in there and maybe you're losing confidence in your abilities or maybe uh, struggling with some certain customers or, or some sales pitches or anything that you can remember that you thought back then was like, I don't know if I can do this sales thing and then you just grind it through or yeah I can definitely think of a time there was a month in particular that I fell down it felt really really fast and I wasn't getting any orders for days I was like freaking out and I think it was a point where my leader at the time told me like this is nothing like relax like December can be a slow month for people that are just getting the book started I didn't know that. I thought it had to be, you know, grow month after month after month after month and just kind of put it back in perspective, like focus on what you can control. This is, flukes like this are going to happen. Mm -hmm. So 
I kind of realigned what I was focusing on. Stop. I got to sleep more because it was keeping me up in the nights and stuff like that. And um, it all worked out in the end. But those little moments of December of 2017. If you ever talked to me, you could tell I was a very nervous man. Yeah. So you just brought it back to the focus on what you're doing in the moment that day. Uh, yeah. Whether it's uh, this many solicitations to prospects on your prospect list and, yeah. or through com or and just new business movements. I spent more time looking at my email waiting for orders to come in mm. than actually going out and hunting for orders. Mm. And I realized that after about like 10 days and how stressed I was getting that like, it was like a moment like, what are you doing? Yeah. And figure, you know, go back to what got you to a decent point where you're happy. Just because it fell a little bit doesn't mean you can just stop doing that. Mm-hmm. So, um, kind of a funny moment, and I still find myself I find myself telling people that nowadays. Like, hey, just because you had one good month doesn't mean the rest of the months are going to be great. You got to keep on going, keep mm-hmm. on stoking the flame. Yeah, I feel like it's just a natural tendency for any human being in general just to once we find some progress in anything in life you know sales especially uh you know we kind of take the foot off the pedal and you know it's like all right it's in our evolution our biology to through evolution to rest you know when we put in a lot of tough work it it is you know just in our biology to rest and just knowing that and then kind of fighting that uh urge to rest rather than keep ticking you know no just Stay focused. Stay on the thing that mm. that got you there, and then you know if you continue to do that, continue to focus on the habits and the daily, you know, uh, solicitations, whatever you're doing in your book of business. Uh, you know, it's only going to bring more in. Yeah, I find it very similar to like how we've, you know, for me, I started as 22 years, and it was my first sales job, and my whole entire life was either sports, school. And basically that all revolves around, like school, study really hard for nine months and you get three months break. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like, oh, I finished a year, cool, I can stop I can stop caring about really working hard in school. And sports, you know, practice two hours, oh great, I can take a deep breath after practice, put my feet up. And like the second you get to that point where you hit a, what you've been trained to hit finish lines, mm-hmm. and the finish line never stops moving back in sales, it's a very, very different rude awakening when you hit you hit that. Oh, I hit it already, great! And then you're getting conversations are coming up with your boss saying like, "What's going on here? How come you you know what? How come you slow down so much? Your numbers aren't as great as they used to be." And you kind of it's like in those moments you're like, "I've always been kind of trained to do this." Yeah. Subconsciously. So. It's a great point. Getting over that hump of like, getting over the oh I hit the finish line I got that promotion cool I can stop doing all the hard work that got me to there mm-hmm. no double it down yeah. you have to because guess what it gets harder and if you want to keep on moving at that fa- that fast pace that you got you there you're gonna have to move even faster from the front end yeah that's a great point because even you know thinking about sports in high school and or anything band whatever you're doing a lot of times you have someone else you know whether it's your ball coach yeah you're fo- kind of forced to practice to get a little bit better but once you get out into the real world you know it's kind of like you got to manifest some of that own some of them your own discipline and your own motivation in yourself 
to get to that point. And then if we're we're so used to you know twenty years of our life, oh, well, even through college, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, practice for a test, yes, done with it, got your grades, got yeah. your report card, cool, I'm done. Yeah, it's not the case. There's no no winter break in in sales. Yeah, that's for sure, <laughs> for sure. And same for just life as we go through our twenties and thirties. It's like you got to keep learning, or you're gonna get left behind. You know, we always talk about the learning zone here, and but. I don't think I didn't realize how important it was until you know I started investing more time outside of work in myself yeah. to get better there because just like we were talking about, you know. Let me ask you this, Ron. At what point did you realize investing in like reading and all that, like your podcast? At what point did you realize consuming material outside of work? is going to help you so much more in your career. How old were you? Kind of tell me about that. For me, a lot of, you know, thinking back, it's hard to think back in that mindset of that person that I don't even, uh, you know, identify with anymore. I don't even know who who he was. (laughs) Uh, For me, I think I was just, I thought being productive was good enough. You know, just being productive in my job, I worked hard. You know, I had jobs, I worked really hard at them, but it was just like, I worked hard at the task. I think it's, you know, when America was going through like the industrial age with, you know, factories and everything, it's like, that's all you had to do. You didn't, there was no really a a lot of advantage for studying and learning and becoming better, you know, becoming more intelligent outside or, or learning new skills because you just, do this factory work or you or you would just you would stay in this type of work profession mm-hmm. or whatever it is but it, for me it took you know I, I think I was 28 years old you know and looking back on it I think that there's a few different things one finding a significant other to that's a lot of distraction in my early 20s and or just my life before that was just there's a Maslow's hierarchy of needs one of them is and it's you need to achieve these needs to in order to for to achieve self-actualization for yourself to become the best version of yourself and one of them is finding a significant other and finding some, you know, a companion. Mm-hmm. So I think that was definitely huge for me because then now a lot of that other free time, you know, and plus I probably drank less as well, started that drinking helps. less because I didn't yeah. have to go out to the bars and, and find one a companion. So then I just started diverting some of that time to podcasts mm-hmm. and then I started listening on podcasts of successful people read a lot or they they were learning forever they were listening to other people's podcasts reading books always suggesting books and then just the more i kept hearing people say that i was like dang you know maybe that's something i need to try out yeah so then through and then through books it just led me into so many other different avenues of being able just to have conversations like here on this podcast with other people and being able to connect with different topics and uh, it's led me you know books led me to meditation and that's helped me my emotional intelligence way more and I 
you know, I was just talking about it on the previous podcast with a guy from my college because I used to be a hothead back in, you know, if anybody, anybody knew me, even early Schneider days, you know, he asked, you know, Chetty and Gallagher and some of them, you know, I'd get, I did I didn't have the highest emotional intelligence back then, but you know that's what books led me to do, and then sure. so then I just keep amping it up every year just to try and every time I watch a David Goggins video, to, it helps me push me a little more to oh yeah push myself more. But yeah, absolutely interesting. Yeah, what about you? Because about nine or ten months work going into Schneider, it was like April or May. I think I was kind of like at this moment where I was commuting from the suburbs every day. I used to get into work really early. So I'd be up at like 4.45 and 5-ish and I'd go like, oh, how come I'm getting home at like 6 o'clock? Like where is all this time going in the day? Because I'm still only, I'm not working more than like 9 hours in a day. And I realized because I would be either asleep or listening to like a barstool podcast on the train every day to and from. I'm like, well, that's an hour and a half to two hours every day that I could be doing something better at that time. Mm-hmm. And I switched it. You know, I stopped listening to the sports podcasts and I switched it over to reading on the train and listening to like a, you know, a self improvement podcast on the train too, or the self improvement podcast on the walk in, the 15 minute walk. But the reading part, I never read really ever in college because I was was a math major. You know, all my time was spent into doing math problems and like looking at proofs and stuff like that. So you don't have time to sit down and read a book or it's. And then I realized, well, it's a lot more fun than that when you get something out of it. So my free time went to pounding bush lights, (laughs) (laughs) Iowa water. Um, No, the uh, there's that and like. I just think that that's kind of helped me out so much because, like, sales, I read so many sales books starting out, and you can, like, read it, then practice it right away. And that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people, what did you just do on the phone there? And, like, how'd you do that? And that was kind of a cool one, but mm-hmm. all over the place now. It's, I, yeah, definitely always have a book that I'm in. Yeah, what, uh, I just did a, a two thirty, I think uh, a two thirty meeting, afternoon meeting earlier in the week, and uh, there's this Jim Rohn. Is this somebody sent me this? It's a guy from the seventies and eighties. He, he's uh, he's called like the Godfather of self improvement. Okay. And uh, it's like this old video. He's pretty funny too. But what he talked about, he's like, how much is your TV worth? And uh, not like the physical five hundred dollars for the TV, but just like you said, like how much. You know, getting out of it. It's good to have some downtime. I watch Netflix. I'm not saying I don't watch yeah, Netflix, yeah, yeah. but like, how much is your TV worth? Are you watching ten hours of TV a week or more? How much? If you're invested in, in books or podcasts, that's developing you. Like your TV's worth a lot more money than you think. Oh, okay. That's getting ran down the drain of you watching the TV. Then there's a. I think he said. The average TV was on seven hours a day back in 1981 when this video. So, I mean, if you combine our our phones, like how much is Instagram worth? You know, how much is Facebook worth? And I'm on all these things, you know, so it's not something that I'm like perfect at, but I've 
slowly did things to get better and better just to divert more time to do it. Like if I have an urge to pull up Instagram and check it out, then I'll just stop myself, I'll catch myself and pull up the book that I have on yeah. my coffee table at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, there, there's a lot of different things you could do. Like I delete my apps. Like I was, I would get addicted to Twitter for myself. Addicted. Yeah. You know, I'm on 30 minutes per day or 30 minutes to an hour throughout the day. Yeah. Just checking on it gets me fired up. Stuff that, you know, I guess. Maybe I was gonna say it shouldn't get me fired up, but you know. It was just distracting me when it's stuff that's out of my control. Usually, everything on social media is a lot of times it's out of your control. Yeah, so there's really not a lot of benefit out of it. There is some benefits, like, sure. but uh, I have uh, Facebook for looking at my friends' birthdays. I have Twitter and Snapchat. And all of those have notifications off. Yeah, because that's a good that I cannot always be seeing those notifications pop up. Only one I actually have notifications on for is LinkedIn. Yeah, which is because I can relate it more to this. But um, I don't have an Instagram. Never want one because of it's like it's just another distraction for me at that point. Mm-hmm. And I can't. I, there's already enough of those in life, right? <laughs> yeah, I even went to the extreme of taking notifications off everything, even my texts. Oh wow! I have notification for my texts. Just because a lot of times, especially at work and even working at home, if it's in if it's an arm's reach and I see it, just like we were talking about, where our biology seeks uh, rest and comfort, mm-hmm. I'll do a hard task, knock something off my to do list. My first thought, I see my phone, yes. and I want to pick it up and check it for text. Next thing you know, my buddy sent me a link about. Uh, you know whatever it is on Twitter and then next thing you know I'm scrolling down Twitter and there goes 15 minutes and exactly <laughs> time flies which and that's it's perfectly fine it's a like you said it's, it's a source of entertainment so I just find the point where I just not I don't get as much out of it as I would like we just want to be in we should be in control of the entertainment rather than it controlling us and a lot of times for me previously and sometimes still Sometimes it's in control, yeah, and you know, controlling me. Exactly. So it's. I think that's the big thing. What What would you say? Because you know, it took me until age twenty eight. You twenty three, twenty two, twenty three years old. Like, is there anything that you would suggest if you're looking back to your old self to get you to say, "Hey, man, you you should start reading in, you know, high school." What or you should start reading at least in college and applying yourself or even like what would get you to realize that this is very important and not even reading it could I think podcasts are just as valuable as reading uh, yeah if you're listening to the right ones I always think of like in high school if you have four subjects of homework to do you're doing your favorite one first more often than not because mm-hmm. it gets you in the swing of things you're moving right mm-hmm. so like if you have two different parts of reading to do for classes and you don't really care for the classes, you don't really care for the things you're reading, you're going to put them off. You're going to put them off. You're going to put them off. So, like, it's finding that one thing that you like, that, you know, it stimulates your brain when you read it. It feels like the person has only wrote those words on the paper just for you. Mm. And, like, 
find that, enjoy it, learn from it, and then the internet, you find what other books are like that. Mm-hmm. I'm in the I'm in a deep string right now of the books like uh, Shoe Dog, uh, where it's like you know old CEOs writing on his past thoughts and his past failures and what he could learn from it and like mm-hmm. his whole view. Um, I'm reading one right now, Creativity Inc. by yeah. Ed Catmull. My brother Randy just read that. Did he? Yeah. I love it. It's been great. Sending me quotes through it is great. It, it seems like a fantastic. Book. He's wildly humble and like the way how he thinks about these small little issues that he had way back when, 20 years ago, and how it's like he he learned from that one tiny little issue where you think that's not that big of a deal, and and then he ends up saying how it relates to how he built his culture 20 years later and like those are I find those fascinating um but yeah really in a string of those right now so like back to your question find the thing that you enjoy I mean I think one of the first books that I kind of got into in college was a a autobiography of an NHL goalie mm-hmm. who had a horrific injury during a game that he almost died from it and I remember seeing it, and I read about it. It was a great. It was one of my favorite reads, and it was like the only, probably the only book I read for fun in college. Mm-hmm. And I guess if I just forced myself to keep on saying like, "You enjoyed this, do it again." Like, don't be spending three hours on your phone before going to bed or something. Like, yeah, you could recreate that. So, I guess that would just be my main thing. It's like it's a great feeling. Remember it, recreate it. Yeah, because I was just trying to think when I started, when I picked up reading. Because I maybe read five books up until age twenty eight. Yeah. Um, I think it was that I, I was just I was listening to some podcasts and people that I really enjoyed, and then I picked up that person's book and then started reading it. And that's what I do a lot of times, even till today. Someone gives me a suggestion, or they talk about some uh, esoteric topic or or something mm-hmm. or skill. Then it's like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'm gonna grab it and check it out. So yeah. I think if you do have something super interesting, then it's just a, about like, you know, keeping it uh, like we were talking about with Instagram. Like if you're gonna go to Instagram, just make sure you have that book around you at all times. Yeah. It's in your backpack to and from work. It's uh, it, it carry it with you at all times. So then when you have the urge, you know, give yourself a break sometime. Yeah, Check course. Instagram. You know, see what Jack Flynn's doing. On the boat for July Fourth, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's what. Do you have any books that you suggest people reading? It, maybe if they get their book that they enjoy, then they start getting settled in. What's like a good book or two absolute, that you suggest? Absolute number one book to start off reading is The Richest Man in Town by V. J. Smith. And man in town. it is short. It is about 70 pages. It's the book cover itself. It's like five inches by five inches. Tiny little book. Is that the one I was looking at at your desk? Yes. I'm going to exactly. pick it up as soon as we get off here. And <laughs> it is all about being humble. And it's about the author ended up, the author, when he wrote this, he was not, but he's a state senator, I think, for South Dakota now. But nothing, it's nothing about politics or anything like that. It's about how. He always noticed at his local Walmart that there was one line longer than ever for people to check out and three ones that were completely empty. And everyone would go to this one line because this cashier would was so 
humble, down to earth, and then literally the they call him the richest man in town when he didn't really have that much. And it's a story about how he wrote a letter. I'll, I won't yeah. give it away, but um, he he's talks about it's the best friendship he's ever created, mm. and it's in an area he never thought it would have been. Mm. So it's I when I was in my internship, they had the author come and speak, and I think there wasn't a dry eye in the room. It was very, very well done. So, 70 pages. And if you can't get through the 70 pages and the font's huge, it feels like it's an I Spy book, basically. Um, it's really, it's fantastic read. That's my number one. I just, I need to buy more copies to give them out, honestly. Because yeah. that's my one thing I don't do. I like it. One thing, other thing that I was saying about when it comes to reading that I've been doing a lot within the last year or two is... Uh, having like a couple different books I'm reading at once like at, at least two sometimes I amp it up to three yeah but two especially because a lot of times you know a lot of self-help self-improvement books sometimes they get kind of monotonous you know you can read a chapter and then you're starting to get drained yeah so like a lot of these books that you were talking about like autobiographies or memoirs those are really good I like to combine uh, or like some philosophy books that I get into just like have a combination so when you do when I do read through that chapter and I'm gassed like whatever my mind is just completely worn out from trying to comprehend that novel concept that it's telling me so what I want to do is like we talked about before is go to my phone or turn on something else and distract myself but rather, I just jump to the other book now, and then it's kind of an easier read. Yeah. And then I start going through that. So that's kind of what I've been doing recently that I've enjoyed a lot. I find myself, if I find the time, I really only, I only try to stick to one book at a time. But like, if I find myself like not wanting to pick up this book as much, it's time for me to go to a new one. And it does, I get through almost every book I read, but those times where you're just not connecting to it, and it's you know you're not really your brain isn't being stimulated when you read it like you're not reading this for homework you're not reading you're reading it to better yourself but you're only going to get as much out of it as how much you like it how much you're interested in it mm -hmm. so like you're not doing this for anybody else it's okay to put down a book that you find it hard to get through to get out of something that you're going to get that you're going to build your whole entire path out of yeah so uh, that's one thing I found myself doing I'm like put it down yeah I love that there's this guy, Naval Ravikant, that I, I really enjoy. He's a great Twitter following. He's been on a lot of podcasts. But he, he says that very thing. Like, if, if you – a lot of books are fluff. And if you if you think you've understood the, the concept after halfway through, three-fourths through, and you understand the concept, put it down. It's starting to get, you know, monotonous towards the end of it. Yeah. Then just put it down. Or if, when I first started reading, I tried to force myself to finish and yeah. I know a lot of people do that too, where it's just like you force yourself to finish even though you're not getting a ton out of it. And maybe even a lot of times I, I was just kind of skimming over. My brain wasn't even processing mm -hmm. what I was even reading at the time. Yeah. So, like, I I think that's great advice. I, I'm just – I was reading a biography. I heard a lot of people uh, suggest a Leonardo da, da Vinci and it was, oh. it was a really every, several people has recommended it and I'm about like 130 pages in it, it's a good biography but it, you know it's not stimulating 
for me at least of what I like to get out of books. So yeah. then I was just I just put it down the other day. I was like, all right, I got to pick up something else. It's exactly. just not it's not working for me. If you're gonna watch a twenty hour movie. And the first two hours in, you're like, I'm still not connected. You're going to watch the next 18 hours? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're going to turn off the TV, put something else on. It's like, if it's truly a book where it's it's only for you to be able to grow from it or get your own experiences from it, then nobody's stopping you. Control your, back to like the controlling thing. Mm-hmm. Control what you consume. So, yeah. I don't know. It's a weird thought. Yeah. To like, but it works. It's a lot of things that you... you it takes a while to learn so like if you're listening and you're trying to pick up a reading habit that's one thing and one thing that really helped me to turn into like a daily habit is to set like a certain time like you coming into work on the train I would re- at least read 10 pages or a chapter and I would make sure I got that in yeah and if I got that in usually on the morning to work then I was good exactly you know and then eventually it kind of once I got a good habit full and then it escalated into just reading not much more I like in this world than two cups of coffee and reading on a Saturday morning Sunday morning it's like my favorite you just burn through chapters yeah yeah. that's great because I still wake up at 5.30 or 6 as if it was a weekday so (laughs) yeah I love it good stuff Jack um I'm going to go into my arsenal questions here. Do you have a failure in your life that set you up for later success or an apparent failure at the time? So in college, I started off studying actuary science, and I realized I'm not a great test taker. What is actuary science again? Being an actuary is, I'll say like if you're like life insurance, you're helping predict how much to charge people for health insurance with different things, mortality rates, everything like that. I think it was like a financial engineer for insurance. Okay. That's the best way I can do it. But there's nine plus tests. I know my college friends, if they ever listen, they're laughing at me because I'm wrong on it probably. But I tried, I tried it. I studied for one of the tests twice, and I missed it by like within 10% both times to pass for a whole summer. I was working all day. I would tutor. I did my own like tutoring company in, around the suburbs at, in the afternoon that I'd go to Starbucks and study from like 8 to 10. And I failed it once, tried it again, failed it again like a couple weeks before going back to college. And I'm like, this summer absolutely sucked. All I did was work, and I tried putting time in this test, and I didn't get anything out of it. And like, like okay, if I really did rethought this and did it differently another time, yeah, maybe I could pass. But there's nine more, eight more to go. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not enjoying it. So I guess like that failure kind of put it into perspective. Like, I don't know what I'm gonna do right now, but I just know this space isn't for me. Mm-hmm. So I dropped extra science. I went to, I studied math. And then just kind of stuck with like focus on what focus on the schoolwork now, and I realized that I like communicating with people and building relationships with people. So I went from a math major to sales. Mm-hmm. So if I always like now I laugh about that test. If I didn't fail that test, I think I, I think my hairline would be way further back from all the hair I pull out of stress, <laughs> and just because I'm not happy in it. Yeah. But 
So that's kind of my biggest failure, I'd say. And I laugh about it now, but back then it was embarrassing. Yeah. I, I feel like... I don't think kids should be picking their major earlier that, you know, you talk to everybody, everybody's changed their major, and then a lot of times if you didn't, a lot of people just kind of grind through it, like we were talking about earlier in the conversation, yeah. where you just grind, force yourself through it, and then you're graduating the major you don't, don't enjoy, and then now you're getting a job that you don't enjoy, and then you're forcing it, because that's what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to go, you know, supposed to have a job and work, and for the thing yeah. that you graduated with, so it's like... I don't think we should let 17 and 18 year old kids choose majors one uh, like the first year of college should be taking a bunch of different courses being introduced to a bunch of different people and trying to and then maybe hopefully you can find a yeah you know have maybe have a guidance counselor and give you some guidance I love the idea of a gap year after high school yeah or even if you don't want to do that then uh, go to community college for a year or two, mm-hmm. save the money, be able to work. Like, that's it's smart. Totally, I, it's funny how like I felt like at least my high school, it felt like it was very frowned upon. Like, oh, you're not going yeah. to four-year school. Like, and you weren't I smart look, if you did that. I look around. I mean, I took college at loans. Like, I look about that now, and I'm like, wow, a year or two years at community college, like, put me in a different position here, and I wonder how different my life would have been from my experiences. So, mm-hmm. I. Think it's like a really really smart idea because yeah. you, like you said you are very like me i didn't really know what i wanted to do you're still growing when you're mm-hmm. 18 and to be able to pick a path or start a path i should say that you could go down for the rest of your life is daunting when you look at it now mm-hmm. so we should and this is the truth in everything when it comes to you know just trying a bunch of different things out and you know and just to see what you're good at or see if you enjoy it and just even when it comes to sales approaches, you know, mm-hmm. with, a, with a customer. Yeah. Uh, you you mentioned you had a tutoring program. Uh, program. Yeah. Is this something you created? Or I've what? kind of started my own stuff <laughs> just for fun. I guess I have a little bit of an entrepreneurial bug. But um, I had someone asking me for help tutoring math when I was like a summer, my, going into my junior year. And I said, yeah, sure. So I, I pulled up the old, my little brother still went to my old grade school. So I pulled up their directory and I sent an email out saying, hey, I can help with math to like 200 something parents. And I remember sending it. We like whew, took a deep breath, stood up in the kitchen and grabbed myself a glass of water and the phone rang before I could even get to the sink Wow! for my first customer. And it grew to a good price. I mean, I was, you know, still in college and I couldn't, I didn't charge as much as someone like professional tutor that's got their degree or something like that would charge, but I made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the other thing was too, I enjoyed it because I connect with, you know, students and be able to like see what, how do they learn better than other, than like different ways than other people. Mm-hmm. So there's that one in, uh, in high school, I was a really big fan of electronic music and I started my own Twitter account for that. Nice. And I ended up getting like promotional ticket deals on that, and I got to interview some people backstage, like all on my own. What was the Twitter handle? Was oh, it's deleted like, now. I, I mean, just, I mean, what was it? It was just like, oh, putting out the greatest. I just would. I would just kind of talk or... about. I would just talk about like stuff going on in Chicago. Okay, and it was like a Chicago one, and and then I had people. My first one, somebody reached out to me, 
and then I would reach out to people. My whole plan was to like maybe start a blog with them, post these interviews out, and it was just hard when I wasn't in Chicago still for college. Yeah. I just lost interest in it, but it was fun. I, I yeah, a few thousand, yeah. and uh, but I mean it was like fun. It'd be funny too when people from my high school, my grade, followed it and didn't know it was me, <laughs> and like that was really fun. That's but good. Uh, I would have them send the checks to uh, to not my house. I'm like. I'm still 16 years old. I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the entrepreneurial. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's fun. Um, I don't really have anything now, I guess, that's really kind of going for that, just like with our own book of business. But I don't know. It was something that was just fun to do. I thought about doing it in college, too, but the time just wasn't there for it. That's great. Uh, I love the tutoring, too. And, and like you said, when you're tutoring other people, you, you, I'm sure you were learning from them different ways how to – you know, figure out a math problem or, or, or whatever it is. And I think, I, you know, I was talking about it in that same 2.30 of just teaching other people things or just articulating things to other people helps you better understand it. And if you apply it to our job, you know, for example, we're always trying to update customers on market data and get them to understand what's going on out there, why is the ports all congested and, and all this is – you know, take in some info and then articulate it to your neighbor. Yeah. You know, before you call on your customer, articulate it. So I'd articulate what I thought this article said. Then once I do that once, twice, I love doing this for books I read. Yeah. Like this con very novel concept. I'm trying to understand it. I can barely get a grasp on it. Uh, this uh, new science that's, you know, not mainstream and I'm trying to understand it. You know, it's part of the reason I started doing speeches was to put it in you know five to seven minute speech to be able to articulate it because it helps me understand it so much more. So I love you getting after it and uh, doing the tutor stuff because it probably helped you in math big time. It, uh, it, yeah, it did. And I'm a firm believer in if you, you don't really know the content until you can teach it. And that's like, like you said, with like reading an article and like I view it very much like if I'm trying to articulate something going on in a market to a customer, I view it as a puzzle and mm. getting to the piece, getting to the like the solution so that it hits best for the customer. Because mm. if I just send them an article, I mean not gonna they're not mostly most likely not gonna get anything out of it. But if you figure out two, three senses of how that article relates to them mm. specifically, they're gonna be get way more out of it. So uh, I'm very puzzle minded, I guess you would say. Yeah. Just in that sense and that's kind of aware of that and that's how I try to use it to benefit. It's good. Always try and bring it down to the to the why and the, and the root of things. Always trying to, it's like a first principles thinking is what it what's called trying to get, you know, just don't go off of like what other people say and do or, or, uh, or the current um, uh, belief of, of a concept or yeah. whatever it is and try to figure it out yourself. And try to, yeah. I love it. Let's see here. If you could have a gigantic billboard, put anything on it, reach millions, billions of people metaphorically, what would you put on it, Jack? Being afraid of failure is like being afraid to grow. If you aren't comfortable with failing and learning from it, then you're going to stay where you always are. You can fail, be stubborn about it, you're not going to grow. If you're afraid to fail, you're going to spend way too much time about what other people think 
and then also getting something perfect where you get your perfect answer faster by failing. Mm -hmm. So being afraid of failure is like being afraid to grow. Mm -hmm. I think that's something we all eventually learn in life after we go through a bunch of failures or going through a bunch of adversity, but um, maybe... It, you know, it took me forever to understand that because you're always afraid of failure, afraid of what maybe you'll get in trouble and maybe you get fired. Um, so I think it's important for sure, you and I being leaders and managers of associates, to create an atmosphere where it is okay to fail. Like uh, trying out these new uh, customer sales pitches or letting them jump on the customer scorecard call and go over the market data rather than me go over it and you know if you know if you fail you learn from it you know then it's just like just then that's okay to fail mm -hmm. i've failed many a times you know doing those same very things mm -hmm. uh, or could have at least done them better so like uh, just creating that culture as a company is huge to give people the confidence to put themselves out there and I know it talks about a lot in that creativity ink of creating that yeah. creativity. That's the whole thing about creativity. If if you're afraid of failure, you're never. The whole thing about creativity is getting out there and trying things as much as possible, throwing out ideas as much as possible, and uh, yeah. eventually something's going to hit. He talks about that how the amount of effort in I guess company money, if you think about salary that was put into staining a group that is compl completely transparent and nothing personal so that everyone's okay with failing. Because like people at other companies would like laugh at that, at how much time and effort he put into that. And mm -hmm. goes, and I don't think Pixar would be what it was mm -hmm. if I didn't do that. Yeah. So. And they're far and away like the best, you know. They're a beast. Yeah. yeah. When it comes to, let's see here. Do you have a what? What's one of the the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made up, up until now? Um, I know we already talked about it, but I guess it's still got to be starting to read on my own. Yeah. Um, that's a hundred percent it. I can't think of anything else that's really come that close to it. Yeah. Um, People need to understand that. I mean, it's. I think it's okay to hammer that home to get people to understand, like, this is very important. If you're not reading now, you should start reading very soon and start slow and yeah. get after it. It's it. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think about the differences in a night where I watch how much more I get out of 15 minutes of reading versus three hours of Netflix. And, yeah. like, I do both. Like, there's 100% when I have a long day, I want to, you know get rid of the stress, I'll throw on the PS4, play, mm -hmm. play with my friends. And like, that's good, like that's needed. But like, in the big picture, I look at the times where I'm reading is, or like, you know, really investing into something else, grow a lot more in that space than the other, even though they're both needed. Yeah. And how much like proud you feel of yourself getting through the book and knowing how much you learned and then you have those conversations of telling people about the book and you know. It's the same idea, it's like so a workout. You accomplish something for the yeah. day that's takes work to put into it mm -hmm. so uh, i i love it yeah i like it right at home let's see we got about 15 minutes left i wanted to 
unless you have any other the questions you want me to for sure ask, I was going to get in some book of business sales stuff here. Let's do it. Let's do I, it. I'm all about it. So, you know, we talked a little bit about attacking customers and and uh, you know, and sales pitches. What would you best advice for like a cold call, new associate, um, you know, just starting to make cold calls? What's best advice? Your first call, I'm weary of any customer that we close in the first call. It is not set up right. You don't know what you're selling with. More often than not, you're just price. Your first call is a win if you gain information. Think about, I, the way I view it is a detective. Do you think he's gonna solve the case from the first person he talks to? No, mm -hmm. he's most likely not gonna solve the case, but he, pro, he just probes for information and starts to get a story together. Same idea, if he's getting a lead together, gets information, pulls it together, puts it up on the big board with all the strings attached like you see in movies, mm -hmm. the same idea as us just getting information learning what we're going to sell them against, what is the main value that we're going to provide that their current providers are not. Mm -hmm. Same idea, that's your first call. Do not expect anything more than that. I if you it. do, run. I mean, it's really the customers that are trying to unload everything to you, there could be a lot of skeletons in the closet and that's why we do this, is to get rid of all those. Mm -hmm. I love it, it's a good mindset to have and um, I think what can go along with that is just like, Weinberg talks about a lot is just thinking as a consultant, you know, um, rather than trying to get uh, sell them something, be a consultant. How can you help them out? And consultants are trying to get down to the root cause, as yep. we were talking about earlier, trying to figure out, all right, what the heck is going on over here at this company? You know, let's understand the company, let's understand the people working for the company, let's mm -hmm. understand, you know, pains and all that. And, yeah. And then, then, we might be able to understand, but like you said, if you get a load on the first hand, you know, then all there's a lot of things that we probably missed there's on that so first many. call. I, I I love Boiler Room and Wolf of Wall Street as much those movies so much, but however those like one call closes are just it's they're cool and they're they're possible like, but when you look at it, it's not a customer for life more likely than not. Mm -hmm. You're, the whole point of sales here is that you want to build a book of business that could sustain you for life, mm -hmm. not just hustling and grinding to get all these one-hit wonders. Love it. Yeah. Let's see here. Best strategy for a customer. You had a good cold call. We learned some of those things. It's been a week. He's not answering his emails or his phones going on two weeks, what's the best advice for someone where a customer is starting to ghost them or say you priced out some stuff. I, I, we get this a lot yeah. in our business where something happens, what probably happens, they probably had some other provider that they liked their pitch a little bit better um, or just they were just using your pricing or your pitch to you know compare with whatever they currently have. Yeah. What's the best advice for someone that's we get it a lot. The ghosting is you got to put yourself into their shoes a little bit and be like, I had one call with this person. There's more than likely one, more than just that person at that company. And I think the biggest trap word to ever say is, I'm guilty of it. Oh yeah, my guy at ABC. Like, okay, that's one person. 
person usually has someone they report to. There's usually another counterpart of that. Have you talked to anybody in the billing department? You know, there's that's my biggest thing to get around it is that, all right, you've been ghosted by this person. It was what you thought was a good call from the beginning. It could have been. There's also five other people you can talk to and you say, hey, I talked to Johnny Shipper here and he mentioned this. Do you see something similar there? Talk about like a good question that isn't, you know, just a, a basic script. Mm-hmm. You know, you did your you did your thought process. Say like, hey, he said he's having a lot of problems with doing all this paperwork and they don't have much technology. Is that similar for you? And you can get somebody going. Mm-hmm. So, other people flex a lot. Um, I guess is a short answer. Yeah, I love it. Just the thought of putting yourself in the customer's shoes. Any time you can do that with any interaction with a customer is powerful when it comes to sales or any type of relationship building. Yeah. And because then you're going to start thinking in their shoes of like, and then trying to, you know, and then anytime you do that, you can empathize with people and then you can just learn more out of whatever's going on. But then reaching out to other people, developing more contacts, even if it's just the the gatekeeper, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's the first step. Maybe you need to take a step back and go to the back of the gatekeeper. You're gonna have to call her every single day if, the, if you end up landing the customer, so might as well be nice. There's there's one thing that, uh, I learned this on Chris Boss, and I've shared with people, did on my team a decent amount, and uh, one thing Chris Boss suggested in his book uh, never split the difference yep. was to reach out to the, if there's someone's ghosting you reach out and just straight up ask them hey mr customer have you given up on this project or, yeah. have you given up on this pricing opportunity um, and then it triggers like the empathy uh card for people like yeah the customer sees that they remember the good conversation they had with Jack Flynn from Schneider. They see that. Have you given up? Like, damn it, no, I haven't. A lot of yeah. people are competitive. That I haven't given up. You know, it's like, do you want me to continue working on this for you guys? Yeah. And they say, yes, and be like, okay, great. What's your plans for it? Yeah. You know, if they say no, then you can ask why. But more importantly, you're not going to continue to waste your time. I, I we get a high percentage of that, and especially. You know, if you're a seller, use your manager too. So it's it's amazing the manager title for some reason. Just having the title gets people to respond. But you know, I get 60, 70 percent response rate, and then you know maybe the responses aren't always perfect. But I'm able to learn more to understand from their perspective what's going on, learn yep. the whole company outlook and what's going on, pain points, whatever it is. One of my biggest biggest mistakes was trying to think that I want to be the guy who can close all these customers on his own without anybody help, anybody's help. Mm. And I, that December I was talking about blew up right in my face. And look, I had nothing. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I had to learn that one the hard way. I think, you know, I remember some of that myself, uh, you know, early on and as a carrier sales broker, just like, cause you're proud, you want to be the best. And, and you want to show that you earned it. It's just like inner. It's an ego thing. For Hundred percent sure. ego. No, <laughs> nothing else besides that. Because guess what? It takes up more power, more brain power, more resources to do it on your own than working as a team. Yeah. Ego. Yeah. Which is sorry. 
yeah. ego doesn't get you very far. Yeah. Um, I like it. You know, go, going through some of these things, what's some advice, you know, I, I see a lot in our industry, and this is a, this is a tough one, for a seller who has a busy book of business between, you know, 20 to 60K, very, very busy. They're already working 50, 60 hours a week. Like, what's your advice to find time for new business? One that I've learned from Josh Bright is the juice worth the squeeze every time. And I think we get, you want to be, you never want to find yourself in a spot or you're comfortable with the work you have right now. Like if you're, there's plenty of situations where you see, yeah, this is a customer I've had forever, but they, the amount of time I put into it is not worth the return. Mm. Um, it's a tough one to swallow, but a seller in my team, Austin Carp, a year ago, we had a customer, his biggest customer, spent so much time on them, a uh, lot, we had a lot of issues and you know, it came to the point where he said, like, you're killing yourself for this much. This is how much time you're putting in for this much return. Go, we got to cut them. I know it's going to look ugly. It's going to look like you lost half your book of business, possibly. But from a, just strictly from an order standpoint. But think about the time you have to make yourself more productive. And he just won seller of the month on my team last month. Because you look at how his book is now versus when it was then. Mm-hmm. And he has got way, he's working with three new customers that he was not working with then that are great. Mm-hmm. Good customers that can be customers for life. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a scary moment. And you got you, you guys straight fired them? Just we said, call hey, them on say, hey, we're... We, we just, you know, respectfully, we said, hey, we apologize. We were going to be asked to be removed from your quote list. Um we are getting to the point where we are not going to be able to service your account the way you wish. And it's completely, you know, obviously don't want to, you have a pit in your stomach doing that to the customer. But even then, they knew. They're like, fine. Okay. And they were like, they kind of, they didn't, it didn't matter to them. So if they really, really liked working with us and they are saying, they wouldn't, they would have said more than just, okay, fine. You know, yeah. How much did you mean to them? Yeah, for sure. So, it really, you know, your time's precious. We got like 40, 45 good hours to make calls mm-hmm. during a week, and it's filled up with so much of stuff. Make them worth what they're worth. Mm-hmm. So, but it's a it's a point where you start out you're scrapping for quotes, scrapping for quotes, scrapping for loads, and then you get to the point where you realize. Your experience and your time does not mean you have to scrap for quotes and loads all the time. So it's a part of a long-term training process. I think that it's a tough pill to swallow and it's hard for people to kind of see until they're, they see the benefits of it. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I can remember, and uh, I think you may have been on the team still, Buck and uh, TC Heartland was, yes. a, was a customer. Like we, we didn't fire them technically, but... It was, I think technically they fired us, but it was one of those accounts where the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Not only was the, the customer a you know very emotional person who just stressed everyone out and we had to meet with them weekly or even, mm-hmm. you know, even talk to them daily, 
but the freight wasn't great and it was just bogging him down and even we moved it to account management just bogging them down it just wasn't good for the business and, yeah. and went away so it's like we could have looked at that and maybe fired them ahead of time you know or like so just examining your book of business and a lot of times what I try to look at is especially if you have a book and, and you're sitting there and it's taking up a lot of your time look at that customer and it's like digging deep are we able to what percentage of freight are we getting mm -hmm. a lot of times I'll just ask the customer straight up it's like hey what, what percentage are of your transportation or full truckload are we getting or mm -hmm. you know how much ratio LTL full truckload he says 30% how much of that 30% are we getting at Schneider mm -hmm. he says 25% okay dang we're getting most of it mm -hmm. and some of maybe fibbing a little bit sure uh, but and then it, then whatever you have then I would try to think all right there's not a more there's no active growth to this customer mm -hmm. so then I'm, I'm what I immediately go to is all right can we automate it and uh, if we can automate it that's awesome a lot of times we can you know give a shout out yeah uh, top leaders are listening they'll They'll love the shout out Freight Power Shipper here. Mm. Move it to Freight Power Shipper and, and get it off your plate because I'd rather you go and hunt down customers that have way more ROI, you know, that can escalate your book of business way far, but you're just, and it, it's just kind of bogging you down right now and removing you from the fun stuff. Yes. I, I think the fun stuff is the creativity of working through new prospects, not only finding prospects but then working through them with you and your leader and other leaders throughout the enterprise yeah i like to compare our sales role to different from my friends that are in sales at different companies a lot just how they differ and i'll say one thing that i think there's an area of improvement for us that's not so much one in let's say a smaller company like my friends in tech is a smaller company they're very very good at knowing what they do best which means that they come across a lot of opportunities that they disqualify. And to the point where they know exactly when. Mm. I think that we do a good job, we do a decent job of disqualifying, disqualifying opportunities, but we need to, we could be a little bit better in reviewing them when they're six months in, a year in. Um, and really seeing, is this, a good is this a good customer for us? Is it good? Are we also a good provider for them? Because those two should be the exact same answer. Mm -hmm. And then, if not, how can we make it better for us? How can we make it better for them? Mm -hmm. If you're finding yourself mixed mass, either one no or two no's there, then you got to find something else new. Or if you feel like you've exhausted everything, how much are you going to beat your head against the wall? Mm -hmm. It's the, it's the truth, and yeah. like. It's that's how business is. Like, there's going to be good uh, partnerships in business, and there's going to be one where one benefits more than the other. And there's going to be one some, which is wild to think there's that benefits nobody. Yeah. And just to think about that, I have a customer that they're not benefiting from me. I'm not benefiting from them. Then why? Yeah. What are we doing here? Yeah. It's the truth of it. If you truly exhausted all the options, then and it's time's precious. I think Weinberg says it, but he's like, don't don't put your don't put customers on a pedestal. And, yes. And, and 
that's what came to mind for me. Not not only when it comes to being afraid on a cold call or talking to an upper exec on a, like a discovery call because mm-hmm. they're people just like you and I. They're no different. The it, but also when it comes to this, just like any time you get a customer and they're moving, they're a relationship customer now. Don't put them on some pedestal that you can't examine or take yeah. a look at or even think about getting rid of. Talk you, openly with uh, them. If you can't, it's... Yeah. Don't identify yourself with this customer. You know, I, I talk a lot about that and just in general in life, don't identify yourself with things, uh, you know, politics, you know, I'm, I'm left or I'm right or, yeah. you know, or even religion or anything, you know, when you start identifying yourself with these things, then you're... You, you, you come attached to the outcomes of those things and you you know what I mean so it's the same thing with the customer in your book of business I yeah. think that's what it is we have this loss aversion people are afraid it's like oh I don't if I lose that customer oh what can happen you know what's oh, gonna happen yeah. so it's just yeah I'm going on a rant but no it's true <laughs> I, I really I've been viewing more so our industry is that just because you got one load from them doesn't mean they're a new customer and mm-hmm. I view it very similar to how it is in like the restaurant industry, how a new restaurant opens and they have a killer first three months. Brand new restaurant, they want to try it out, mm-hmm. you know? How many, how many people are returning them? You know, our, our industry should be based off of more returning customers than mm-hmm. it is first time. Mm-hmm. And that's what a true close looks like. Because <laughs> restaurant industry is tough to make it in. I view that first time you eat at a new place very similar to a customer using us for one load and seeing how it goes. Mm-hmm. So. I, I, we've been changing that mentality a lot in our team. Just we've seen cases where you win one and they go dark. It's like it's not not really a tr- true new customer that could be there for life. Mm-hmm. So, and and what I'm thinking about it just to compare it with you know customers the same way with the restaurant industry. What brings you back? Yeah, the great quality food, but usually the you know the owner comes talks to you. Service. Yeah, yeah, service. Or it just the vibe in the whole place is great. The vibe is culture. like a purchasing experience, basically. Yeah. It's, it's wild how many similarities you got to understand the customer. That's what we've been talking about to yep. the roots. And I think when you understand the restaurant, where the food came from, sure. you know, what, like, oh, this was sourced from the Atlantic Ocean. This is where we got the salmon or the, the oysters, <laughs> you know. No, you're exactly right. There's like, I thought about this and like, I was kind of laughing myself because I kept I'm finding similarities but it's very different because it's hard to for me it's harder to celebrate one load because I know there's so much more we got to learn about them mm-hmm. so I don't know that's my thoughts can't celebrate one appetizer because you got to try all the entrees bingo <laughs> can't no not at all well I think that's all I got Jack unless you have anything else to chime in um no I'm all good I I was ready to answer the first, the question of first concert. What is it? Let's do it. ACDC was my first concert. Hell yeah. And it was a gift from my uncle. And it, we got really, really good seats. And it was... I ruined concerts for the rest of my life. Yeah? Because How old were you? Seventh grade. Wow. Yeah. Good on your dad taking you to that. Yeah, my uncle. Uncle, yeah. uncle. Yeah. 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 He, he would throw me in the back of his motorcycle and blast ACDC going down the highway with me. And For those about to rock. <laughs> Bingo. We salute you. Yeah. No, that was it. That's a good. That, 
it's made it tough to really be like, oh, it's still not better than ACDC. Yeah. Going to a concert. So. That's awesome. They're still right. touring, too. I was wanting to... They're insane. I, I was wanting to go, because uh, they, they were going to tour that summer of COVID last yep. year, but then, you know, obviously, that didn't work out. But exactly. I, I definitely want to see them before... It's the amount of energy that guy still has. Angus Young is wild. I bet so. you they still kill it. Oh, I'm sure they do. I saw Tom Petty right before, like three months before it. Really? Yeah, that's right. That really concert. So I, I still want to see ACDC before they, because I guarantee they. Time still is near in a lot of these awesome concerts, awesome bands, and I got to see Rush before Neil Peart died. Oh, that's awesome! It's my dude. favorite band of all time, and that was a love Rush. Too. Oh yeah. That's great. But you gotta, you gotta, you can't sit around and wait. I mean, oh, I'll see them next year because you never know. Yeah, that's yeah. a great mindset to have for anything in life. No time better than now. Yeah, love it. Appreciate it, Jack. Thanks, Ron. Tadies, man. Yep.